0: Well, hi again, everyone. I'm Mark Renee. This is Play-By-Play with me, the play-by-play under normal circumstances provided by my guests and the me, well, by now you've probably figured it out. Our guest today is a dad, a tennis broadcaster for the ITF and USDA. He's a poker player professionally and also a podcaster, co-host of Behind the Racket with Long Island's very own Noah Rubin. And I'm pretty sure he's joining us today from the epicenter of American politics this weekend, uh-huh. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mike Cation is with us. Hey, Mike! Long time no speak. How are things? Uh,
1: you know, I think much like everybody, just kind of hanging in. And and you are exactly right. I am in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it is, um, yeah, it's the day of uh, Donald Trump's rally here, and uh, it's it's a bit of a nerve wracking time for residents. I'm lucky that I'm nowhere near the BOK Center. Um, I, I think most. From, from what I can gather, most Tulsa residents are actually kind of just staying away if they can. Um, this has been more of a, a thing for people from out of town to come and, and be a part of this. And I think that's what makes everybody nervous here is that you have a lot of people coming um, to the area, uh, both protesters as well as supporters of, of the president. And so you just don't have that, that, uh, that idea of safety in your own hometown. And I think uh, a lot of people are just very nervous about how this day will proceed.
0: Yeah, And it's not only that, but, you know, as opposed to us here in New York, where the numbers were astronomically high in terms of coronavirus and have since gone way down, um, Oklahoma and the rest of the Midwest are sort of still hitting that crest of the first wave, right?
1: Yeah, we're actually peaking right now. Um, We have had record days, I believe, Something like four or five out of the last seven days, we've had record um, positive tests. Um, obviously, part of that is, uh, of course, that are more tests are being done, but also the fact that we're just starting to get hit more and more right now. So yeah, it is the idea of, of thousands, 20,000 people packing into a, a, you know, an arena like that, the BOK Center, that's, that's, that is nerve wracking. Again, I think, like I said, uh, most of these people are from out of town, from what I can gather. Um, that being said, you do know you have local residents who are going to be there, and uh, the, the idea of infections rising—it is—it is scary. Um, I, I said it on Twitter this morning. I'm just—I'm just really hopeful. I, I don't think I can do anything about—you know—we can't do anything about that. It's going to happen, um, whether you like it or not. I, I think the big thing for me is that um, the protests, um, along with the supporters, I just—I'm hoping for a very safe night. Yeah. Um, and then we can deal with the repercussions of of what happens with COVID and, and 20,000 people inside an arena later.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, the scary part is it's not yeah. just the 20,000. It's right. the people that they're going to be interacting with sure. in the next two weeks after that. And, you know, yeah. it's like the old uh, shampoo commercial. You know, they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on yeah. and so on and so on. And that's how pandemics expand and become pandemics from simply... Yeah. I say simply, uh, epidemics. Uh, let's get to the nitty gritty, if you don't mind. How have yeah. you and the family been dealing with this pandemic for the last three months plus?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I moved to Tulsa about a year and a half ago. Uh, my ex wife is from Tulsa. Um, we are, however, despite the fact that we are divorced, um, we're co parenting and um, we're, we're functioning as a family unit, despite the fact that we have two households. We have Um, 50-50 joint custody. So essentially, I have our our daughter three and a half days. She has our daughter three and a half days. Um, We made the decision. She was in preschool. They shut down the public schools here in Oklahoma, but we made the decision um, to pull our daughter out of preschool, Um, even though it it is back open now. Um, uh, My ex-wife's new husband is um, high risk. So therefore we just made the decision to essentially quarantine as a family unit across two houses. Mm. Um, so it's been, it's been a unique time um, for us uh, Tulsa and, and most of Oklahoma has basically treated it like um, over the last month and a half that it's just wide open. Um, so that's been very difficult. And yeah. and as you can imagine, Mark, just saying to a five and a half year old that we, you know, can't go to the parks and we can't see her friends. And um, that's, That's so difficult, and I know a lot of parents nationwide are having to deal with that worldwide. Um, But I think we're doing okay. Um, I I miss, much like everyone else, the the big thing for me, I miss people. Um, I miss interacting with human beings, my friends. I haven't seen anyone anyone I know for months. Um, I miss that. I'm playing poker quite a bit now to try to make ends meet. Um, It's it's rough, but I think we're surviving about as, as good as we can.
0: Well, we've made it this far. Yeah. So good on you. Um, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the fact that, you know, it looks like tennis will be making a comeback in some form or other. We heard earlier this week from the USTA, the Open will go on as scheduled uh, in Flushing Meadows. Obviously no fans in attendance, no major media presence outside of the broadcasters. So maybe a handful of people from ESPN and Tennis Channel and, at US Open Radio, uh, but we're all uh, still waiting to find out exactly how that's going to play out. Um, how have you, and I've been asking folks um, since we started this podcast, it's my subtle wellness check on everybody <laughs> just to make sure everybody's you know, keeping their sanity and, and staying well. Um, how have you been able to keep your play-by-play muscles from getting atrophied?
1: Uh, I don't know that I have. Um, I can do play by play, uh, my little pony, uh, a million times, <laughs> but I don't know if that's going to really help. Um, uh, I, I will say, so I, I, like I said, I do play poker. Um, I'm streaming on Twitch, which is, uh, for the older audience um, amongst us. Uh, it is basically where people play video games and you can go watch. Um, but it's, it's a platform that a lot of poker players use to try and just interact with people and, yeah. uh, I, I, it's, it's at least kept me in the broadcasting mentality. Um, uh, the thing about my work specifically, though, Mark, I have I, gone two or three months prior in the last six or seven years where I've gone two or three months without um, any play-by-play. My season shuts down mid-November, and then I don't do anything until mid-January for the Australian Open. Um, so there, there are chunks of time um, where I go two months so it hasn't been extraordinarily unusual yet, right. um, but I think, yeah, we're, we're getting to that point where I'm getting really antsy and uh, a bit concerned of, you know, okay, if, if we do have a job to go to at the U.S. Open or beyond, you know, how, how are we going to snap back? I'd like to believe it, it comes right back, but I think uh, I might try to watch some tennis and just kind of go through it verbally in, uh, in a, you know, in a practice session, if you will, in front of a television right before I have to go back to work. Yeah.
0: Hey, how'd you get into poker?
1: <laughs> uh, same as pretty much everybody here in the States, right? The moneymaker boom, uh, when Chris Moneymaker, uh, the, the nobody out of Tennessee won the, the World Series of Poker back in 2003, started playing online. Um, and I just, uh, I've always had jobs, Mark. Um, and I don't know about you, but, I, you know, I, I did morning radio for a long time. Um, so I would basically work, say, 4 a.m. to 11 a.m., uh, or 12, uh, 12 noon, and I'd have the rest of the day, and some days I'd obviously have stories to cover and, and things to do, but I, I just needed something to do. Um, so poker became more and more of uh, something I enjoyed to do. It's the competitive nature of it. I like math and the percentages. Um, and now I just, with with more free time on the days where my daughter is not here, I I can play tournament sessions for eight to twelve
0: hours pretty mm-hmm. easily. Interesting, interesting. So let's talk about your career path because you didn't start out. Nobody does. It seems starts out as a tennis broadcaster. No. Uh, how did you wind up as the preeminent voice of the International Tennis Federation?
1: Um, yeah, I, I I got lucky. Um, I, I played tennis um, in high school, in, in juniors, um, I was not great, I was divi- a Division three recruit, um, but I, I really loved the sport and um, decided not to play in college after I blew out my shoulder. Um, that being said, I, I continued with the broadcasting career through college, uh, immediately jumped into community radio, um, and then got my right out of college, had my first job um, in Washington, Missouri, very small town of about twelve thousand people. I did some play by play of high school sports there. Um, but it was just one of those uh, you know, you had to feel time. So we were doing volleyball, basketball, football, soccer, uh, literally every sport that uh, uh, small town high schools had. we were we were doing it. but um, I then about after eight months, I moved back to Champaign, Illinois, um, which is where I'm from. The, uh, the coach at the University of Illinois, the men's tennis coach at the University of Illinois is a man named Craig Tiley at the time. He had uh, also been giving me lessons when I was in high school playing juniors. Um, and he knew me when I did an interview with him. And he said, hey, listen, we need a public address announcer for our tennis program. Would you be? Oh, nice. Sure, no problem. Uh, so I just got more and more involved with the University of Illinois tennis program. Um, they had a challenger. For people who don't know what a challenger is, um, it's, it's essentially like AAA baseball, except for tennis, players who are ranked about 100 to 250. Um, and, and so Craig asked me to be the public relations person for the challenger. I got to know more and more um, officials, people within the USTA. Greg went on and now is actually, um, he's at Tennis Australia. He's the tournament director for the Australian Open, CEO of Tennis Australia. So he's moved on to bigger and better things. Um, But back in 2013, um, the University of Illinois was hosting the NCAA tennis tournament. Um, One of the officials who worked with the USTA happened to just come down to watch for the day and said, Hey, listen, I know this is kind of weird. And, you know, I, I know you've, I'd just actually gotten out of radio about two months prior. And he said, but I know you love tennis. I know you're a broadcaster. There's this opening for this. They've been starting to stream broadcasting, uh, streaming some of these challengers. And they're looking for somebody to start doing some of them this summer. Are you at all interested? And I said, sure. You know, and and a week later, I'm on a phone call with somebody saying, yeah, we got this tournament coming up in Winnetka, which is up near Chicago, about two and a half hours away from me would you be interested in doing it and we'll get you on for the rest of the year? And I said, sure. I'd never done any play-by-play for tennis. I hadn't done any play-by-play at all uh, except for the eight month stint I had in Washington, Missouri. And then all of a sudden one day in July of 2013, I had seven tennis matches to broadcast by myself. (laughs) Um, And I I guess I did okay. I, I, you know, Thinking back to it now, I'm appalled at how bad I was. Um, but I, I, I function, I was functional. I think I learned a lot that first week, um, it, it just in terms of flow and, um, as you know, just the cadence of it. Yeah. Uh, and it then I just the fact that I work alone almost all the time at those challengers uh, gave me just more and more time to really understand the sport, talk to coaches, talk to players, understand it more, um, and then. You know from there it just went to the challengers and then i've gotten the opportunity to work with you and, and others at the u.s open uh, the australian open i get to go to for the last four years um it's been a remarkable journey and I'm, I'm really really lucky
0: yeah mike when did you know that you wanted to be a sports broadcaster
1: well i about 13 i was, you know maybe maybe earlier than that about this i don't know is it about the same for you
0: <laughs> oh yeah no i'm I, from the time I'm eight years old, I knew yeah. this was what I wanted to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Mark. I was one of those kids when I was uh, five, six years old. Um, I assume we're about the same age, Mark, but uh, when I was five, six, seven years old, I, I got up every morning at six o'clock so I could watch the six thirty sports center before I watched Bozo the Clown. Um, that was, that was just part of my everyday routine. Um I, I don't think I necessarily knew what it was. I was the only child of divorced parents. I would go when I was eight, nine, 10 years old, I would be outside essentially pitching uh, a baseball game against our front steps um, and broadcasting the whole thing for myself. Tennis became more and more of um, you know the sport that I loved when I got to be about 13, 14. And then I just kind of locked in on that idea. Um, of of just being a broadcaster and but if you'd have told me I could only do one sport I would have picked tennis no no question about it
0: yeah well I I tell people all the time you know when we go around the room when we're kids what do you want to be when you grow up and you hear fireman policeman doctor nurse one buddy was uh, a wannabe airline pilot and I said I want to be Bob Murphy and that's you know the the teachers got scared they used to write home and and have my parents in for chats because every book report would be about a baseball book or some sports book or other uh, yeah for a couple of years i did uh tug mcgraw the late uh, reliever sure. and uh, a comic strip called scroogey and i would read the compilation of scroogey comics and write book reports on that and <laughs> they all got very nervous and you know i i I like to tell the ones who are still around that uh, they should have had a little more faith because I kind of knew, yeah. you know, once you get to that uh, second or third year of little league and you can't hit a curveball, your, your fate is sort of sealed. <laughs> that was, so that was,
1: that was the thing for me. I, uh, I, I actually, I think I could have been decent. Um, like I mentioned, I was a division three recruit for, for tennis and, um, I actually threw out my shoulder the first time when I when I played baseball and I, I always have those ideas of, you know, what if. Um, I, I think so many of us who are in this field, Mark, you know, always have this idea of what if. Um, just some of us have the realization we can't actually do it uh, right. earlier than others.
0: It's very true. Uh, on the Mike Cation highlight reel, you've done so many matches over the years. Um What's the first call that goes at the top of that list?
1: Um, I think the, um, I think I'd have to go back to the Australian Open a couple of years ago. Um, Lauren Davis um, and Simona Halep. Uh, It was one of those, those first matches. It was, 10, 10 8 in the third, I, I think, something along those lines. I, I can't actually, I'm terrible with score lines. People always ask me if I remember the score. I'm awful with it. I, I am I, a
0: magic slate, honestly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm like this on a daily basis, but yes. especially having done all the tennis over the years and all the other games. I mean, I'm literally, as soon as the game is over,
1: Yeah, it's um, gone.
0: yeah I have uh, a scorecard and, you know, hopefully right. an air check that I can go back and refer to.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm the exact same way. But it was it was that that first one where um, where I was doing a world feed broadcast um, that all of a sudden everybody was focused on that one because the world number one, Simona Halep, was being challenged by uh, Lauren Davis. Who, if you don't know Lauren Davis, she's maybe um, five feet tall on a on a good day, um, and and just this this small thing, but packs such a punch. And it was you could just tell that this audience was. Building and building as as she was looking to knock off Simona Hallep. and mm-hmm. um, it was just that one where you just kind of lived in the moment. Um, and there have been some fantastic challenger matches that I broadcast over the years. I think back to a few years ago. I think it was twenty fourteen, Nick Kyrgios beating Jack Sock in a final. Um, uh, and now both of those guys have had opportunities being inside the top fifteen or beyond. Um, but that that was the one that stood out for me because. I, I think, um, and Mark, you can you probably relate to this as well. When you make the jump from, essentially, if you will, challengers being the minor leagues, um, and then you make that jump to the majors, that first one where you know it's something potentially historic or or a, one of those big moments in sport, and you handle the moment okay um, or or well. Right. Um, right. And I, I felt in that moment I, I wasn't overwhelmed. Um, that I I was there I was on it I was able to convey the emotions of what was happening I had a terrific color commentator in Louise Fleming who was there um, bringing her excitement as well and I was just kind of steering the bus um, for for that moment and doing it in a way that I think afterwards you know a couple people said just you know great call you did it really well you let the the analyst be the one who kind of showed the emotions and really dives into to what's happening on the court and you just make sure you're conveying the moment uh, the crowd the players the strokes and and it i handled it um so that's the one that i will take with me for a very long time i can we've had so many unique broadcast moments at the challenger level when weird things happen um a lot of people might know me because i was the broadcaster for the uh when the when the loud sex noises happened during the (laughs) tennis match with Francis Tiafoe. Uh, We've had uh, snake wrangling on the courts. We've had, I, I just, you know, this incredible array of very odd occurrences at the challenger level. But that, that moment, Lauren Davis, Simona Halep at the Australian Open a few years ago, that was the one that kind of will stick with me for the rest of my life.
0: How many others have you had a chance to watch come up through the challenger system that have gone on to great things?
1: Uh, It's been fantastic. I mean, uh, I I, I should say, I'm mostly on the men's side. I have done a few women's events, but mostly been on the men's side. So uh, uh, that's why you'll hear mostly the men's players that I mentioned. But uh, Kyrgios was the one you knew automatically was incredibly special. Um, Along with Jack Sock, you knew that that forehand was going to be potent. We had Alexander Sasha Zverev, who's been top five for the last several years. Right. all of the young Americans that are now 22, 23 that are starting to make their mark Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz, Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, who I just mentioned. Um, I, I think I, a couple of years ago, I, or maybe last year, I was putting together just a, a new resume for myself and I, I tasked myself with going through the top 100 at the time and how many of those players I'd done a broadcast uh, at a challenger level for them. And I think it was somewhere around 43 of the top wow. 100. Um, and I was just like, gosh, you know, I I, I do have a pretty good depth of knowledge. Um, what's been fun for me, and and Mark, you you can speak to this and your experiences as well, but um, the, the challenger levels are, are different from, say, the U.S. Open, because we're not segregated, it's media from the players. My, quote-unquote, media lounge is also the player lounge, so I'm if I'm in need of a banana or something to drink, some water, I'm going into the player lounge. I often stay at the same hotel as these players. And so, you know, we're all at the same restaurants and just kind of, we have the ability to make connections that you don't get when you're up at the pros. Right. Um, And so that's been what's so, so fun to me. Nick Kyrios, who I mentioned is he often bristles with media. I mean, it's been very, he's hes a, a difficult player to interview and he doesn't always like media. Uh, he always gives me that, that bro hug every time we see each other <laughs> um, because we had that ability when he was at the challenger level, we were just two human beings. You know, we have the age difference, but we he saw that I'm out there 12 hours a day. He, he respects that, he sees that I'm trying to learn um, and, and that's what's been such a blessing for me to work at that lower level. It is just the, the opportunity for all these players to see me as just a normal person putting in work just like they do. Um, so I have fantastic relationships with a lot of these players inside the top 60, 70 um, that I think a lot of other broadcasters don't have. And I, I consider myself incredibly lucky uh, for that.
0: Yeah, and it definitely helps, you know, as as they make their way up the ranks and and you have been able to make your way up the proverbial ranks, you know, you have that mutual uh, connection that, as you said, you know, is is lacking at the upper tiers uh, because we just don't get the opportunity, you know, as much as we would all probably want to, well, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of us would want to go Mm -hmm. and, you know, hang out after a practice session. You know, you just don't have that opportunity because there are so many demands uh, made on these players. Mike, what's the best advice you ever got in terms of uh, broadcasting when your career was uh, ramping up?
1: I don't. Wow. Um, I think that that I I think the thing I I was told by a a professor at the University of Illinois, John Paul, that I don't know that I necessarily took to heart or or really understood, but just it's one of those cliches for us, Mark, that getting in the reps. Um, the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. Um, I, I'm sure you still get butterflies when you're doing um, broadcast now, Mark. Um, I, I Every know time. Yeah. Every and time. And that's a good thing yeah. um, for all of us. Um, but that, that was the first one. And I don't know that I understood it at the time, but I think back to the, the years I put in, in community radio where it just, you know, you had to talk for two hours straight and you, you just kind of did it. But, I think that helped me create a voice and understand a voice for myself, um, and I don't know that I understood that until much much later. the The second piece of advice, the one that that sticks with me um, to to this day, is is given to me by a, a writer who works for the WTA. Her name was Courtney Wynn, um, very well known media member within tennis, Twitter, and tennis yeah. media. Um, I, I was very nervous before doing. Uh, let's see. It was, uh, the, it was Stephanie Vogelay. I can't remember who she was playing. I was, uh, I, oh, it was uh, uh, Kuznetsova at the Australian Open my first year going down there and doing it. And I was extremely nervous. My first ever Grand Slam match. And she said, you have more equipment up there. You have more people who are producing and running around. But it's just tennis. And, and it just kind of reset it for me. Like, Okay, you know, it, whether, whatever sport it is that you're doing, if you know the sport, you're fine. Just right. talk about it and have some fun with it. And yeah. that, that was the one that I just kind of needed to get through my thick skull. Just, just go out there. You know the sport. You might not know the players particularly, you know, well, but you know the sport. You can see what's happening. Just go out and do it. And that's, that's one that I, I have said to people who have asked me for advice over the, the last couple of years is, you know the sport. If you if you know the sport, you know the sport. Just go out, and talk about it, find your voice, and and you'll be fine.
0: All right. Well, you took my next question and you answered it without <laughs> me asking. So that's good. That gives me a a chance for a bonus. Um, <laughs> let let's go back to the first job out of school. Yeah. Uh, what was the format? Uh,
1: it was an AM talk, uh, AM conservative talk show in in Washington, Missouri, KLPW AM twelve twenty. Okay. Um so yeah I was I was they, believe it or not despite the fact it was 12,000 people in its main city maybe maybe 35,000 in Franklin County um they had two news people the news director and the assistant news director I was the assistant news director okay um so I did the see we he did the morning shift god I I try to black these these memories out because <laughs> um he, he did the morning. We tag teamed the noon. I did the three o'clock and the five o'clock along with a three minute sports update at six. Uh, and then we would do high school sports in the evening. Um, I think I made $16,000. Um, and it was not worth it. It was <laughs> the, the news director. I, I will say this, Mark, and maybe you've had this experience as well his name was John Covington, uh, to this day, he might be the best, or one of the top three play-by-play guys I've ever worked with. Huh. He was phenomenal. He, his preparation, I, I learned from him without him knowing, his, just his preparation was phenomenal. It, it, it was an honor to get to work with him. He just had no interest in going anywhere else. He had no interest, this is where he was from. Right. Uh, he owned a lawn care business. He was happy. He had kids and he was set there and that was it. He was so good. Um, we read, we read, I don't know if you ever had to do this early in your career. We had to read obituaries.
0: Uh, (laughs) If if I have, I black that out.
1: (laughs) Which was awful because we, uh, we lived in This community was, um, a lot of Swedish and German families with very complex names, and I, I, without having the local history, you there would be times where somebody died that morning, and you're on the twelve o'clock newscast, and boom, here is please read this obituary. And it wasn't even just that you know Bill Smith has passed away. You had to read their spouse, their children, their brothers and sisters' names. So you had. 15 or 20 names you had to read. The number of times I just, you know, I'm, I'm getting a, a piece of paper handed to me and I have 15 or 20 names. How many do you think you're going to get
0: correctly, Mark? Little I'm, did you know how much that would come in handy years <laughs> later, calling tennis.
1: <laughs> I learned a lot about German and Swedish names and how to pronounce them. Um, but yeah, it was uh, a, a unique experience. Um, Oh man, I I I I can't believe I did that job. I only lasted about eight months. I jumped at an opportunity to go back home and work at a radio station in Champaign. Uh and I, I did top forty radio and news director for a little conglomerate in Champaign, Illinois for thirteen years. And that first job, Mark, that one was that was a tough one.
0: Those are the ones that stick with us though. And, yes, and you know um, what? Without the mic, we're not where we are now.
1: I completely agree. Uh, it taught me what i what I didn't want. Uh, I learned that very quickly. I didn't want to be a, on a news talk, um, and I knew that because I was bored out of my mind going to county board meetings and and stuff like that. And other people love it, and I respect the heck out of them, but I couldn't do it.
0: yeah, I remember the first uh, council meeting I covered was in Woodbridge, New Jersey, and the mayor would eventually be the governor of New okay. Jersey, uh, Jim McGreevy. So. And then my first day when I worked at a station on the eastern shore of Maryland okay. as the news and sports director of a country station, and this was when country was transitioning from you know, the old uh, crap kicker country, they used to call it, to, to the modern version. Yes. But my first day... Um, they were dedicating a new bridge over the Wicomico, I think it was the Wicomico River, the Pocomoke River, whatever it was, and the governor of Maryland was there for a picnic lunch, and I got okay. to have a soft crab lunch with the governor of Maryland my first day. Like, really? how can I beat this? You know, and, and it was pretty much all downhill from there, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it was a great experience. I, I wouldn't trade it for all the tea in China, as they say. Um, but again, it, it, that is the sort of stuff that helped us get to where, to where we are now.
1: I, I completely agree. And I, I, I have so many stories from that, just an eight month period. Uh, my, my news director threw a typewriter when I mispronounced a name during the obituaries. Uh, here, So this was my, this is, I'm sorry, I'm just tangential here and just going off, but uh, my first ever paid broadcast um and this is obviously for, for the times that we're in this is an interesting one my first ever paid broadcast i i had to work the, the 5 a.m shift uh and it was a 30 minute solo newscast which i'm sure you've done plenty of times before mm, as well we got to, to count yep yeah, we've gotten to we got to the 20 minute mark and it was time for sports i'm like okay this is where i'm this is where i'm good i've got this down no problem and um, I mispronounced the name of then Chicago Bulls coach Vinnie Del Negro. Uh oh, first paid broadcast, and I mispronounced Vinny Del Negro.
0: Well, the good news is there was nowhere to go but up. Yeah, so I, I recovered. I think I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. The uh, the first sports update I ever did on Ten Ten wins. New York's, you know, number one all-news station. This is yep. going back 25-plus uh, years. It was a Saturday afternoon, college football, November Saturday. Okay. And running down the entire top 25, and and I think it was really insignificant what number they were ranked, but somewhere in the top 15 was Kansas State. Mm-hmm. And so I get to, you know, Kansas State beat Kansas on Thursday night in Manhattan, and I gave the score, and we move on, and the bottom of the hour comes, and the uh, anchor – change occurs and i get a phone call because we're at a remote studio in jersey and i get a phone call on the hotline and it's the top of the hour anchor who says uh, welcome aboard uh, great job and i'm feeling you know first of all i get through my first 10 10 win sports update something like two and a half minutes maybe right. it's 245 even very long very involved and i get through it and i'm you know sitting on cloud nine could yeah. not be happier And he says, uh, welcome aboard. That was great. I said, thank you. appreciate the phone call. He says, can I offer some advice? I said, sure. He says, you might not want to say a game is in Manhattan unless it's our Manhattan. It could confuse people. Like, okay, that's a really good point. And he says, oh, the other thing, the game was in Lawrence. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are 25 and a half years later, and my balloon still deflated. And I have to work with this guy every day. Yep. And I see him every day, and I tell this story to him occasionally uh, or or with him in earshot occasionally, and he always chuckles. And I found out very soon after that he was a Kansas guy, went to the University of, and so he knew exactly the game that I was referring to, and obviously it sort of stuck in his craw, not only that they had lost, but also (laughs) that I had now misidentified uh, where they played the game. (laughs) And it happens. And you know, like I said, I, I, it was my first one. And if it had been perfect, then where do you go? You have nowhere to go, but down. In this case, I had nowhere to go, but up and humble. It, you know what? It it, it, hit, it's something that happened almost 26 years ago and it still sticks with me. So, you know, I'll, I'll never forget it. And there have been a couple of other things over the years that have been really, you know, awful gaps. And I tell them, as stories to my students and to colleagues. And it's just, you know, if, if I think it helps if these kind of things stick with you that you make sure they don't happen again.
1: No, that's absolutely right. And just learning learning from your mistakes. I mean, that goes for anyone, right? Uh, the ability to learn from your mistakes, get better because of them. Uh, that's one of the secrets to life. You're always learning. Um, and yeah, that's, you want a piece of advice for a younger Broadcasters or anyone. I mean, that's that's it. Learn from your mistakes. Just yeah. get better. Um, goes for tennis players as well.
0: Right. And, you know, try not to be like me and let it bother you for a quarter <laughs> of a century. You know, <laughs> at some point you can probably shake it off. I hope so. <laughs> it, it's funny that, you know, I, I started this. We're talking about, you know, my, my life is a magic slate. And there are certain things that, you know, it's like the magic slate itself. If you push that little plastic pencil too hard, it makes a permanent impression. Yep. And this yep. is one of those things that, you know, there there are a handful but that was the first it made a uh, a very permanent uh, impression. Um as we wrap things up, Mike Kation joining us from Tulsa, please be safe today, yeah, tonight, tomorrow and in the days to come. Uh what's the first thing you do when life really gets back to normal?
1: Uh I'm wow I'm going to go back home to Champaign. Um, I haven't made a lot of friends here in Tulsa, mostly because I travel a lot and obviously now because of the lockdown. I'm going to go back home to Champaign, um, visit my friends, visit my family. Um, I I want, as corny as this sounds, Mark, I want to give people hugs. Um, I I miss that very human interaction, physical touch. Um, My my daughter is lovely. but I, I miss hugging my friends and interacting with my friends and that it's just as simple as that for me is just the human bond, um, that, that I have with, with my friends. What about you?
0: Yeah, no, it's, you know, going out to dinner and actually enjoying it, uh, not having to be, uh, spaced out mm. at, at least, uh, you know, uh, square footage wise. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. I took my wife the other day we and she doesn't get out much because she like your, uh, your ex-wife's new husband is, is in a high risk category. So she doesn't get out very much, but I took her out the other day and we actually went to a self, uh, self-serve car wash mm. so that I could wash her car. And it's maybe five miles away from her parents who she has not yeah. seen since, um, since this all started. In fact, you know, she, she. FaceTimes her parents on a regular basis, oh but hasn't seen them in person. And I had a thought just for a fleeting moment that I would take her, you know, by the house and, you know, so she could wave to her mom and dad from yeah. the car. And I said, I just, it's too painful. I don't want to do yes. it. Yeah. And I didn't even want to tell her. And then the next day I happened to be on the phone. We were conference calling with her parents. And so she tells her mom where she went to get the car washed. And her mom says, You should have stopped by. And now I have to tell her the story that. You know, I started to drive the car in that direction, and I said, "No, it's just too painful."
1: Yeah, it. no, it's it's hard. My my mom's actually um, coming to visit in a couple of weeks. She's been in essentially in quarantine as well in Illinois, um, and we're she's actually taking a test so she can come visit. Yeah, uh, and it's it's tough, but that's what that's our reality, isn't it?
0: Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, my mom's down in Florida now and I haven't, you know, my, my brother sees her on a regular basis again, from a distance, you Yeah. Know, they're 10 yeah. feet apart in a parking lot, <laughs> but, uh, it, it, it really is tough. Um, I'm certainly hoping I get to see you uh, in Queens. Uh, kind of the end so of too. August. That's, you know, that's, that's my next big goal is to, you know, hopefully get to see, you know, I don't know if we're going to have any baseball around here anytime soon, but it sounds like, uh, it sounds like tennis will happen, but, uh, I don't know what kind of uh, what kind of involvement we will all have uh, with radio and TV and and world feed and everything else. Uh, listen, we do call this play by play with me. Um, you have a five and a half year old daughter, and some things that we do play are board games. Uh, yeah. So, what have you got uh, the young lady into?
1: She 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 is the most imaginative person, I, I, a child I've ever met. Um, we we don't do board games. Um, she she gets. Quite frankly, too bored with them. Hmm. Um, so she she has her own games that we play. Uh, they're off. She does school, um, and it's it's all creative stuff for her. Um, wow. She'll yeah. She is she can spend hours. She calls my my mom for an hour every day uh, to do quote unquote school. Um, huh. So she doesn't do games. We'll do some games in the pool. Our condo association has a pool that we go to. Um, and she's tried to start hitting a tennis ball a couple of times, but yeah, she, if she's not doing something physically, she just can't get into it. So there've been no board games. We collect bugs. Uh, we have a ton of bugs actually in our house. Um, hermetically sealed (laughs) God. Um, but yeah, so that's honestly, she's, she's so creative that we, we can't do board games. We can't do puzzles. She has to be doing things. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And yeah, so mostly school. That's um, great. All just, right. It does beg the question
0: road. though. What's, what's the coolest bug in the collection?
1: Oh, uh, we have, we've had, uh, we, we just uh, hatched. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word. Um, we just did some caterpillars to butterflies, uh, which has been so cool to see them. Um, but right now out on our front porch, my tennis court at the condo association uh, has not been cared for for many years before I uh, moved in here. Uh, so it floods a lot and there were tadpoles some frogs came and apparently a lot of frogs because at one point there were literally thousands of tadpoles Marn, on the tennis court huh. along with uh those little tiny water snails that you see mm-hmm. um so so marnie wanted to harvest as many tadpoles as she could and i told her she could have like 10 and so they're all on in a tub on our front porch uh, and one of them, actually, I checked this morning, one of them just got licks. Um, so we're, I'm very excited that this coming week, when when I have Marnie, we might actually be able to take it down to a local pond or something and let a frog go. How about that? Yeah.
0: Wow. So Tulsa, Oklahoma, not only the epicenter of uh, world politics these days, but uh, apparently uh, contributing to the 10 plagues because yeah. we've got those uh, murder hornets coming. <laughs> And the locusts are coming back this year and there's your, uh, there, there are the frogs. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, you know, <laughs> if the frogs start invading my house, then I think with, you know, it's probably time to shut it down.
0: Well, if you treat them nicely, you should be okay.
1: <laughs> I keep giving them carrots every day. They seem to be happy.
0: Do they eat carrots for real?
1: Yeah. I swear to you, they just go and they're nibbling them.
0: No kidding.
1: Yeah. I, I don't know.
0: I never it's- knew that. I just tried
1: something out, Mark. I you think know,
0: we've just... all just learned something. <laughs> this is phenomenal. Mutual of Omaha's mication kingdom.
1: Okay. Stuff. Slugs and snails, too, if you need them.
0: Wow. All right. Well, you know, Jack Hanna is retiring from the San Diego Zoo. So if you need a new gig, <laughs> I, maybe you should I, uh, brush up that resume and send it Mark, off to San might, Diego.
1: We might all need new gigs here pretty soon
0: at this rate. Oh, goodness gracious. I certainly hope <laughs> not. I don't know how to do anything else. Me neither. That's, you know, that's one of the things about uh, doing this for so many years. I, I just, uh, any other skills have gone by the wayside. Absolutely. But we always have this, and it's uh, good to catch up. I thank you for your Absolutely. time. I, I'm
1: glad to talk to you. I really appreciate the opportunity. And like I said, the uh, human interaction component, um, even though it's from, from a distance here, I, I really do appreciate the opportunity to talk with you.
0: Yeah, and it's good to catch up. Please stay well and uh, keep in touch, and hopefully uh, we'll have a chance to run into each other uh, the, end of, uh, the end of August. Sounds good, Mark. I'm Mark Renee. That's Mike Kation. Hey, Mike, thanks for stopping to play-by-play with me. You betcha.